0: What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to sensorina.com to check it all out.
1: On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Keith Mizwicki. Did I get the last name right for once?
2: You did. That is correct. Score.
1: All right. I'm going to chalk that up as a win and end it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Great to have you on here. Uh, Big Chicago guy. We've had a few Chicago guys on before. Uh, Kenny McCudden, Brian Kane. So uh, excited (laughs) to add to that list of legends. (laughs) Good stuff. So you're a longtime coach, uh, and I believe listener of the podcast first time on as a guest here. So, uh, first time caller really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I kind of wanted to start with your background a little bit, cause you're, you're not a full time hockey guy yet. You work with some absolutely phenomenal hockey players. So, you know, how did you go about creating this, uh, background and expertise?
2: Um, yeah. First of all, you know, thanks, Greg, for for having me on. I Appreciate it. Yes, longtime listener um, and and uh, researcher, and and you know, love seeing some of the posts and the articles that you're providing up on Twitter. So it's a good source of knowledge. Um, you know, I think for, for myself and for uh, a number of coaches and, and teachers that are in this space. Um, yeah. So a, a little bit uh, about me. I'm born and raised in Chicago, uh, particular the southwest suburbs. Um, Grew up uh, uh, playing tier two hockey um, in the area and ended up playing division three hockey at St. Norbert College uh, up in De Wisconsin. Um, I, uh, I am married. I have three kids and I have one son who is playing U15 tier one hockey right now. So. Uh, whether he likes it or not, he's jumping on the ice with me, um, on a fairly regular basis, but the, you know, the, the additional value that, that he gets out of it is that he gets to be surrounded by a number of, you know, higher level players who have sort of been through where he's at, uh, could share their experiences on a regular basis. And, you know, he can see firsthand what it's all about both physically and mentally, which is just awesome. Um, on the yeah professional side of things, I head up analytics at a company called IntelSat. We provide, you know, communication services through um, uh, global satellite networks for a number of different verticals, and, and I specialize in one particular in Chicago, which is doing a lot of support for commercial aviation. So, you know, I take a lot of that um, in terms of sort of building a team culture and working on individual. Uh, development plans to sort of try to get the most out of people layering that with uh, a lot of work in the analytics field. I'm applying a lot of those principles and practices down to individuals that I work with on the ice or small groups uh, of players that I'm working, with, work, working toward to try to understand kind of where they're at, um, what makes them tick. you know, what are they motivated by, what are they interested in, you know, and how can we get the most out of them both physically and mentally. Um coached, uh, for 20 plus years. Um, you know, several at the tier one level, uh, both boys and girls, uh, spent about eight years coaching girls hockey, um, all the way up to the tier one level. And, um, uh, my daughter had played at that level for a while, so that's how I got myself involved in coaching, as any hockey dad would, um, you know, trying to lay the, the, the right sort of foundation with, with, uh, with the right set of skills and principles and habits. Um, and, and interestingly enough, like, I still keep in contact with uh, many of those players that I work with way back when. Um, even to this day, we're jumping out on the ice and, and small groups and trying to get them to, you know, where they need to be, uh, in the form of their lineup or in their team play, you know, whether they're at Northeastern or whether they're Lindenwood, uh, St. Cloud, um, there's a number of, of, different players that I work with from all over in the Chicagoland area, as well as Indiana and, and, uh, in Western Michigan that come out and jump on the ice with me, which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, I, I think uh, what, what, drives, what drives me, like, why am I still involved in doing this? Um, you know, what, what really drives me is that I feel like uh, I've got enough um, important knowledge to be able to deliver it back to this next generation of players. And I'm just deeply passionate about trying to learn from others and research different methodologies and techniques Uh, as well as sort of staying on top of where the game is evolving. And I mean, it's, it's changed quite a bit.
1: So studied
2: would be a good word to describe you hundred percent. That's a very good adjective.
1: All right. Well, from that, you're also managing that with your expertise in your professional life, which is data analytics. um, Assuming you're competing against companies like Iridium and and whatnot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Iridium in Marsat um you know there are some new players that are in the market uh gentleman by the name of Elon Musk and what he's yeah you got the old Starlink to, going there <laughs> yeah, to, to, yeah to disrupt things uh in a way uh, in the form of Starlink so so yeah we're um you know we're uh we're certainly you know something that we have to keep an eye on from a competitive landscape. Um, and we've got some things that we're, you know, we're always looking at to sort of sustain ourselves in the marketplace and and do some things that are going to, you know, make ourselves, uh, you know, be one of the top players in the market. So I think we need to look at that both from a professional perspective and things that we do, um, you know, on the side, in this case, working with, uh, you know, some of the best, best athletes in the game.
1: Yeah. So obviously you're, you're a big data guy. You're well-studied. Um, when you're looking to study a player's game, I assume you're taking a quantified approach, really diving into analytics and stats and data. Um, first off is that true? Secondly, if yes, how do you go about that? And what's important to you?
2: Yeah, very, very much. So, um, it's, uh, it's often, you know, I often joke with, uh, with some folks outside my network that it's, it's really becoming difficult to sort of watch the game for enjoyment um, because you're sort of analyzing patterns and habits and what's actually happening, how the sort of uh, the, the the dimensions of the game are changing on a very rapid basis. And so, um, you know, the, the way that I've done it, Uh, In the past is um, in, in the way I currently do it for just a handful of players is, is probably looking at close to about, you know, 35 to 40 different measures. Um, and, and depending on what that is, you know, it varies by position, but I'm just limited to forwards and defensemen. Um, I stay away from the goaltenders. Um, <clears throat> they're on their own and there's plenty of people who are 10 X better than me in that space, uh, than what I can offer other than just stop the puck. Um, but yeah, for, for forwards and and for defensemen, um, you know, the, uh, the, the level, uh, of, of metrics, um, and, the sort of attention around it has really uh, increased in, in orders of magnitude. And, and it's really cool to sort of see things evolve from that front. But, you know, for me, um, you know, I think it's important to obviously look at things like shift count or time on ice uh, as well as uh, any statistics that are related to possession or thi- or skills that can influence possession and playmaking uh, how often those things are happening, what the success rates look like, uh, and also location. Um, so where does this player tend to uh, make the most plays? Is it, you know, there's not very much pressure and, and plays tend to be more regroup fashion, or they're actually, you know, executing a number of plays that are maybe below the rings in the offensive zone that are leading to A chances or B chances. Um, you know, there's, Things that you want to look at and sort of peel the onion on some of these top level statistics that can provide some more meaningful information to a player. And on the back end, it's things like exits and their success rate, um, their ability to either extend possession on their own end or do so through a pass. Um, and then also, you know, their ability to activate in the play if there is an opportunity. Um, uh conversely, uh, yeah, on the flip side, you know, how often can a defenseman shut down plays, force dumps, chip-ins, um, bad decisions, et cetera. Uh, so, so looking at a player uh, from a defenseman's perspective, looking at a player's ability to be able to shut things down, uh, transition effectively, um, and, and make the right next best play to extend possession you know, these are all sort of the the metrics that I think a number of us are looking at. And as it relates to shots, right? There's uh, there's obviously a couple of main areas that you want to focus on. But you know, when we're thinking about um, you know players' ability to shoot off the pass, um, depending on their coming if they're coming in on their off wing, strong side, um, you see a lot of players uh, now. They're they're just you know they're they're highly. Um, agile in terms of their ability to shoot while skating backward um, shooting inside open hips shooting inside of a pivot Uh, so these are all sort of ways in which you know you can analyze the game and then it's about taking what you see and what you know and being able to work with players depending on what level you're working with to try to insert some of that to at least open some doors for them to see what is possible and where uh, and why it's relevant are
1: you tracking these metrics by yourself? Or are you finding outside help or are there public resources or how do you go about finding your data?
2: Yeah. I, I track a lot of it by myself, um, through video. Um, and you know, I've got, uh, it's, it's usually multiple computers, right? You've got video that's going on one machine and then you've got, uh, a spreadsheet going somewhere else. Um, I, I do, uh, You know, use a favorite BI tool of mine to make things a a little bit more um, automated uh, and and a little bit more visually appealing, which is always, you know, pretty cool for a player to see. Uh, But, but yeah, um, it's, you know, I still find it's a fairly tedious effort to be able to collect a lot of the data um, and then obviously summarize it, interpret it, and then work with the player to take some sort of action. Um, You know, it all needs to be sort of this closed loop feedback cycle. Um, And, you know, to be, to be frank, like it could be a two or three game sample that a player is interested in and it gives them sort of, or here's a baseline of where I'm at, you know, here's some direction I need to, to maybe improve my possession rates or maybe my ability to get more touches inside my, you know, 12, 15 minutes of ice time. Uh, it could be those sort of subtle things that a player just needs to recalibrate themselves for the rest of their season.
1: Excellent. And I'm curious um, you, you've worked with many players, you've worked with some players that are very elite, um, and then you've worked with some players that are maybe in the middle of the lineup or at the lower end of the lineup. Do you find one to be easier than the other? Are there different things you're working with based on kind of where they filter in? Because obviously the elite players are able to try more things in games, get away with more things, have a little bit longer leash compared to a player that's maybe in the middle of the lineup, or, you know, they're just trying to survive rather than like, Oh, I tried this and that, you know, those types of things.
2: Um. <clears throat> yeah. Good, good question. So uh, the answer is yes. Um, you know, I, I think, so there's no one-size-fits-all approach, um, as I'm sure you're aware of. And um, de- depending on, you know, with older players, depending on what the roles are, uh, you may have to tailor your plan uh, accordingly. And so, um, you know, for somebody who is higher skilled, who had now is in more of that third or fourth line role... Um, time on ice is diminished. You know, they're, they're playing a different role depending on what the structure or philosophy of of the coach is sort of driving home, like what messages those are. And so, you know, there may be less opportunities for them to try to execute things effectively and efficiently off the rush. It may be a chip and, you know, chase it down finish your check um, you know, get yourself to the net established body position and try to make something happen within, you know, 25 to 40 seconds. Um, So the way I approach a a player who's in that type of role is, you know, I don't want them to just shelf everything they've known that that got them to this point, right? Uh, There's been a lot of technique and skill and the right set of habits that this person has displayed consistently game in, game out. Um, and, and that's not lost. So whatever their role is, we we still try to hit on those types of things. Now, you know, we may do a little bit, we may do some things a little bit differently than what maybe a first or second line type of forward or a top, uh, uh, two pair defenseman or top four pair defenseman might be doing. Um, you've got, uh, some areas of the ice location-wise that maybe you want to hit on a little bit more with some higher-end players because they're getting more looks into those particular areas, or maybe they're getting a little bit more uh, minutes on, uh, on power play so that, you know, you could sort of hit those, those finer areas, whether it's off-wing touches and, and shooting or whether it's movement up at the offensive blue line, um, areas that you know that, okay, Through our dialogue, we know that you're getting these types of situations and these types of minutes, like let's work on that type of stuff. If you're not, that's okay. We're going to go back to, you know, some of the roots and some of the things that got us there, some of those foundational elements. Um, But at the same time, like let's work on some things that make you more effective down low could be, you know what, I'm struggling with receiving rims, Um, whether it's forehand or backhand and then making a quick cut back and then taking things to the net or making the play back up to the point. So, you know, dialing in the pressure down in those particular areas uh, or making it a little bit more challenging within a confined space where they know they're just going to fight and battle for traffic uh, is something that we try to insert into their plan. Got it. Got it.
1: So each player gets a plan. So say I'm one of your new players. How would you go about devising that plan and what does that plan look like?
2: Yeah. And it's, it's going to vary if we're talking, uh, you know, a a 12 or 14 year old uh, versus uh, a player who's maybe playing junior hockey uh, or in their first couple of years of of college. Um, But for a brand new player, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, what are your objectives? What do you want from this? Um, You know, if you have some game clips uh, that can sort of supplement what it is that you know you're trying to accomplish, and what is it that you want to achieve—that is very helpful information for me to be able to take a look at. Um, maybe call out three or four particular areas, uh, but then also, you know, not just areas of focus, but also things that this player is doing well that we want to continue to to sort of drive home. So this whole idea of I have a set of strengths, I want to continue to utilize those strengths um, are is is important for the teacher or coach to be able to recognize within the player. Um, you know, typically it, it will take uh, something like, you know, three to five skates for me to, to get a sort of foundational view into uh, the project that I'm working on. Um, and, you know, for some players, I know that after, two or three sessions, there are some particular things that they're really going to have to work on from a posture mobility skating and edge work perspective. Um, so we're going to tend to guide the plan toward that. Whereas, you know, we have, um, you know, we, we, we've, we, have other uh, particular players who are tremendous, uh, tremendously talented skaters who are very agile uh, can cut back in any direction who are very seamless with their transitional movement that you know they may not be as good as handling the puck while using their eyes to score to scan the ice. And so we're going to hit on that a little bit more just so that they can provide both the asset that they bring to the table, which is the lower body movement and the upper body control but we're going to configure that with, you know, let's, let's rep high paced sort of archetype movements where we're sort of stressing the eyes as much as we possibly can. And then we'll start to layer in maybe, you know, some pressure variables just to see if they can make those plays at full speed um, inside their movements. Got it. Got it. So
1: there's not like a piece of paper that hey, we agreed on this. You knew this, this, and that. It's more of an ongoing dialogue that you're having, or is that a combination of both?
2: It's a combination of both. Um, you know, for for these players that I'm working with in this first series of sessions, uh, the sessions will be videotaped, and then it helps me, you know, really sort of put pen to paper. You know, watching observing, um, making sure that they're leaving with a tool that provides some sort of retention benefit. Um, And and it allows me to go deep into each one of the players. I'll then provide a recap to them via email, uh, just listing out my observations, uh, as well as kind of what's in store in terms of the plan for the next time we hit the ice. Um, All of that Sort, you know, because it could be very overwhelming for a new player depending on age and background that you're working with. Uh, You don't want to throw too much at them. Um, You know, in some cases, you want to see where the session goes. uh, But the follow up piece with video summary as well as a summary of observations and focus on, you know, where we want to take the agenda uh, is definitely important. Got it. Got it.
1: Um, And all the sessions that you post that I've seen there's a lot of work on posture, mobility, scanning, um, being able to read and react to what is being on, what is unfolding in front of you. So I'm curious, you know, why are you focusing on posture? Why are you focusing on mobility? Why scanning? Why are those kind of like the key tenants that come out in a session run by you? Or am I missing any other ones?
2: Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, depending on where we take the conversation, there's probably a number of different routes we can go down, but yeah, you, you, you've you hit it on the head. So, um, <clears throat> you know, what I'm really trying to to work on with the players that um, I'm invested in is to, to build a foundation that is very dynamic. Um, so, you know, if we peel the onion back on that, you know, we want somebody who is very fluid in their movements, uh, their ability to change direction, change speed, um, you know, possesses a, a high crossover to stride ratio um, and is very seamless in their movements when they transition from forward to backward. Um, and they're able to blend those things quite often and quite easily. And it all goes back to to posture. So um, you know, in order for a player to execute these types of movements seamlessly, you know, they have to be familiar and understand the weight distribution in their skates, whether they're too far forward, um, centered in the middle of their blades, or maybe they're back in their heels. Uh, what, you know, what I notice with defensemen is that when we work on their offensive part of the game, they're very much, you know, they feel their comfort zone is in, you know, weight is distributed in the middle of the back, right. Cause typically they're, they're moving in that direction, uh, while defending plays, um, and you know, we really have to, to work to get them more comfortable to be on the balls of their feet. Uh, with forwards, oftentimes what I'll see is when they're transitioning from forward to backward, um, you know we see that they're a little bit um, you know, top heavy and they end up with a little bit too much lean in their toes. Uh, so, you know, it's making those adjustments and it's getting both forwards and D very comfortable with the movements, regardless of direction forward, backward, moving lateral linear, linear, um, that their, their posture is, is, is a constant. Um, and they also need to, you know, develop a feel for what that is like. So if I'm too far forward, what does that feel like? If I'm too far back, what does that look like? Uh, you could see a lot of that come to, um, come to fruition when you're videotaping, especially when you're looking at turns and you're looking at pivots. uh, You could see that quite often. And, you know, that's an area where sometimes the player just doesn't feel it and they need to see it. Uh, But what we try to do is at least take a little bit of video to help support that or screenshots that say, here's what we want. Here's where you're at. And that way they can compare and contrast. Feel
1: coaching through feel. I, uh, mad respect on that because I feel like not enough people talk about the feel of sport. Like whatever is being coached needs to be transmitted into athletic feel. So therefore it gets sunken into the athlete. And I think that's kind of like the ultimate game or practice to game transition or uh, transfer because they can feel it. And I feel once you have a feeling that sticks with you, but if you just, Oh, if I see this, then I do that. It's a little clanky, may take a little bit longer. So I, I love that you're talking about feel um, and I call it feel based learning. How can we get as close as we can to just feel based learning where things are felt? Um, but it's tough when you're using video and you're using verbal feedback to put the two together. And I think, like you said, meshing the video with the feeling you're having and watching how the two come together really solidify that and, and help um, athletes make some giant leaps in, in a very quick succession.
2: Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, and, and to add, it's okay to take a player through something that, you know, isn't right just so they feel it. And then you can say, okay, that is a baseline for a movement that may not be the most efficient and let's work on something that's more efficient. And then you tell me what the difference is between pre versus post
1: That's awesome. And I love how you're talking about, you're having dialogue with the player. This isn't, I'm doing this today and you're going to learn this today. It seems to be very open of where the athlete wants to take it and allowing them to own their own development and have a feeling of agency and control on how they're getting better. And, and my own, I'll let you talk about your own, but for, for me, the more that an athlete feels like they're owning it, the more likely they are to take everything and go the extra mile, um, and do things on their own and really take the steps away from the normal ice time.
2: Yeah, it, that's, uh, that's correct. And it's, um, you know, the, the area, like we, as, as coaches, facilitators, you know, we can take them to a point, you know, you could be, the best demonstrator of anything that you want to demonstrate and, you know, provide that foundation or that blueprint for a player. Right. And they can rep it and, you know, it gets to the point where it looks fantastic. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're popping off a video and then you're showing it on whatever social media platform that you typically use. Um, but maybe that never, or that hardly ever exists like through the course of the game. So, I mean, that's what you have to think about too, is like, you know, getting players to um, we are, we are very much influential in a player's development. Um, We can turn things sideways really quickly. We can, you know, there's, there's coaches that can zap the love out of the game and it only takes one or two years before, you know, you're rethinking the sport as a player and as an athlete. And we all, we, all of us need to remind ourselves of that. Um, You know, we are, uh, as I mentioned, we are influencers. Um, And, you know, when, when we have that time with an athlete, whether they're male, female, 10 years old, junior hockey, or pro uh, we have to, we've got to make the most of that time to make sure that we're providing, you know, the, the right structure Guardrails where they need to be, but also that freedom and flexibility. Uh, And I can tell you, on the girls' side in particular, you know, for having spent eight plus years working with uh, working with girls and female players, is that uh, they take everything very literally. So, you know, you've got to be very careful in how you communicate what it is that you want. I always find myself saying. Be creative inside of the rep, or inside of the pattern, or inside the uh, the combination of skills that we're working toward. Um, don't just copy what it is that I'm doing, or what I'm saying, or what the next player in line is doing. Be creative. Um, it's you know, it is a lab, it is a canvas. This is an environment that you can try things out. Do it. If it doesn't work, understand why, or we can have a conversation about it, or you know it may be something that you want to just refine and and configure and do something different with it. You know, let, let that be yours. Um, And as, like I said, as, as instructors or as teachers or directors, you know, we are sort of orchestrating and architecting it. Uh, We can lay the groundwork, but, you know, ultimately it's up for them Um, and, uh, and where they take it. And we are supporters and we are drivers and advocates for where they want to take it. I, I
1: love that. Be creative inside of the rep and don't copy what you see. I, I think that is fantastic. Like you're creating the environment, but you're also encouraging. And I, and I call this personalizing your own practice, like personalize your reps, personalize your practice. Like each rep, you can try something different. Like it could be something slightly different. So say you're doing like a transition drill. Maybe you catch one on your back end you know, show for a backhand pass, the next one you show in the forehand, you're doing an escape moves and being able to personalize your practice and make it even more fun than it already is. Like, I, I think that's just fantastic on how you approach that. Um, and I found the same with the girls that I've coached where it's, it's very literal and you're giving, you have to give extra permissions many times. Yes. That it's okay to explore, try some things out. Don't copy what you just saw. You have to almost like require, like if you see someone doing a rep right in front of you, you have to do something different than that.
2: Yeah. And, and perhaps putting it that way, um, really resonates with, uh, with, with some players to be able to accept that it's okay to do something different. Um, you know, as, as simple as altering your start of whatever rep that you're doing, um, you know, start facing the ice, start with your back to the, to the, to the middle of the ice, start with a little pull move, start with a spin, start under pressure, start with a retrieval. I mean, there's so many things that you can sort of build and branch off of, and that's just the start of a drill.
1: Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and diving deeper into the training and practicing. Uh, You obviously have your your son, you've trained everything up to the professional level with seasoned pros and Olympians. I'm curious through the age groups, how do you approach that? And maybe what's more important young versus as they evolve? um, You know, where have you been taking things from where you started to to where you are now and what you see um, as children become young adults?
2: Yeah, um I've I've been on this journey um not only with my son, but a number of players either in his age group or a number of play players that were in uh, the the sort of female cohort that I was working with that were uh re- you know really, really tight with uh with my daughter uh in that particular age group. And so um, you know, seeing how they evolve over time uh has been, you know, really r- a really interesting. Um, I don't want to call it an experiment, although there, you know, there's, I do more of the experimentation with my son than anyone else. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and if it works, then we end up, you know, I end up ad- adapting it to, uh, to other players that have similar skills and, 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 traits. Um, if, if it doesn't, then, you know, we toss it and, and we do something different. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, to, to see how a player has progressed and how a player has evolved, um, you know, from nine, 10 years old, you know, again, focusing on the right types of habits and making them aware and providing an education as to what it is and and why it's important, uh, is, is absolutely key. Uh, so for any young players that are, I would say under the age of 12, I mean, we've touched on this already, but, you know, the, um, hitting, uh, proper posture, um, making sure that players understand like what it feels like to have their weight distributed to different degrees in their feet, their stick positioning um, and and how it can be used to, uh, you know, present a good opportunity for a target, um, the technique behind a shot. um, All those sort of things that you're starting to engrave as players develop and, and as they mature, You know, we often go back, or I often go back to those principles and practices, as sort of habits and and reminders and things that got us here. Um, Each year um, that that I work with uh, uh, players, and I see them after they complete their, you know, midget season or their junior season or college season or or um, or a season at Worlds or the Olympics. Uh, every player is coming back with a little bit more information on what it is that they need to work on. Um, and again, we're continuously dialoguing around what that is and what that could look like. Uh, we're constantly evolving and and uh, shifting our, our, shifting our plans accordingly. Um, you know, for players who are, you know, most impressionable, I would say, you know, between, like I said, you know, between nine and probably 14 years old are are really that sort of target areas where you want to hit the right set of habits as early and as often as you possibly can. Um, and one particular player, um, that I work with, um, uh, plays, uh, plays higher level pro hockey in Europe. There are a lot of foundational things that we had to dig into when he was playing division one college hockey, um, that, you know, you just don't, there's just not enough emphasis, um, you know, and perhaps the landscape is changing at that level, uh, but, but just not enough emphasis when this person was playing Division I college hockey that was sort of getting back to some of these, what I call fundamentals uh, or these foundational habits uh, that, um, you know, just didn't necessarily open up doors for this person while they were playing, you know, a high level Division I hockey. And so as we spent a couple summers together, you know, all we did at the end of the day was work on some of these principles, these things that are foundational that led to the opening of doors to create more opportunity offensively. Um, and Can you give
1: us some, uh, some examples of what those would be.
2: Yeah. I mean, things like changing direction and being very fluid both ways, uh, inserting um you know a a a cut or a punch inside of a shot um you know being able to add more deception prior to releasing the puck coming in either on the strong side or the offside um and and doing things like you know being able to transform uh, the way we shoot the puck, um, you know, by pulling it in a little bit quicker or pushing it out, then pulling it in. Um, so combining those sorts of elements, um, you know, has really sort of helped airlifted this person's confidence and their ability to make things happen offensively.
1: Got it. Got it. I like this. Um, and you've mentioned in the past the three V's of off or, uh, of off ice shooting. I'm curious what those are for you. So we, we just talked about a lot on shooting. So I want to dive in maybe some more specifics of, of how you approach that and, and what you're looking for off the ice and maybe some progressions, et cetera.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, a, a, really good, uh, friend of mine who, who's, uh, used to be a former player of mine, uh, he played D one hockey. He's opened up his own little shooting station, uh, down in the Southwest, uh, suburbs here in Chicago, um and so uh, him and i have plenty of conversation around you know how can we improve youth player you know boys and and, and equally both on the girl side uh, their ability to shoot the puck um focusing on their release focusing on their mechanics and their technique um we uh we had spent um you know a number of hours together sort of brainstorming on on you know what is What does a good progression look like? You know, how much value can a particular player get out of this type of progression? What should we be concentrating on that's going to improve their success rates when they jump on the ice? Uh, How do we ensure that what it is that they're doing off ice translate to what they're doing on the ice as well? Um, And making sure that, you know, when we're working with players, both off ice and on ice, that they have... that we hold them accountable to working on those types of techniques, uh, whether the shot goes way off the glass or if it's deep in the corner or if it's not something that their uh, sort of intended target looks like. Um, yeah, we. W- what I ended up doing was I said, you know, if we if we talk about um, the three V's of shooting, right, uh, volume, right. Of course, like you know, the, the the more shots, the better. But we've got to make sure that. You know, we also have a a variety that we're after too. So different types of shot, being able to shoot off of both my inside foot, my outside foot, being able to drag the shot, um, you know, hit, uh, hit a one timer, be good with my stick in terms of redirects, tips, et cetera, um, and, uh, you know, of of course the backhand. Uh, so there's a number of different types of shots that we want to make sure. So, uh, each individual player needs to have a variety of shots in their portfolio that they can use at any given point in time, uh, regardless of location that they're at. Um, and, um, you know, the other area is just, um, you know, making sure that, uh, um, we have, um, we have the proper, you still there.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. still, still with you, so we have, so far we have a uh, volume of shots, variety of shots. I'm curious on this third one, If you've got me hanging on the edge of my seat.
2: Yeah. So on, on the third one is just the, the veracity of, of the shot. Um, so, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're, you know, exploring um, different types of techniques and options to be able to, to to functionally utilize a number of different shots in different areas. Um, You know, going deep with an individual player in order to find that right sort of release point uh, is going to be important, Um, you know, a difference by different players. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we want to make sure that when players are, are spending time off ice, that, you know, they they're keeping those things in mind as they're working on the plan that they have in place uh, whether it's off ice or on ice.
1: Awesome. Really enjoying this, uh, conversation and I, there's so many places we could take it, but I want I want to keep it within the rails for, for right now. And we might have to have you back on cause we could blow this sucker out of the water. And I know you're, you're being nice to, to keep us on track here. Um, <laughs> but, but one thing you had posted that I thought was really great was, um, a, a tweet Way back from July 6th of 2020, talking about routing and proximity as a key theme theme, um, as you had players and pairs and threes. I'm curious for you when you were going through that, like what what are you trying to get out of it? How did you come about that being the theme that you wanted to focus on? Because I think routes are not talked about at all. And are of an absolute vital importance to successful and high-level hockey, especially.
2: Yeah. um, So I I ended up uh, you know at first sort of um, drafting things out into more of a decision tree type of schematic as it relates to entries, Um, and and sort of uh, you know looking at things to see if there was a common set of routes that might be. You know, more beneficial or less beneficial, depending on handedness and those sorts of things, and maybe what what the situation is. Um, so, kind of taking that a step further, you know, it it, it gave me a sense of uh, what options exist, um, and more importantly, when I watch video of a particular player, you know, what are their tendencies? Um, some players have more of a tendency to to go on their strong side and enter in that area, and if That's the case if they're uh, running out of room or running out of space, they end up cutting back and now they end up on a backhand. Um, And typically, if they're under pressure there, it makes it very difficult for them to sort of make a pass inside the middle part of the ice. So they often just hand it off uh, if they've got support there or they end up throwing it down below the icing line. Um, So common problem. Right. And so, you know, if there's opportunity for players to be able to route elsewhere and perhaps come in on their off wing or more in the middle of the ice, that's going open up some doors and lead to that player driving a little bit more offense. Um, and and uh, that could potentially lead to, you know, more chances or more shots on that. So, in thinking about route structures um, and player proximity or, or spatial awareness, uh, depending on whether you're the one that's actually carrying the puck or whether you're off the puck and supporting from an offensive perspective Um, you know, there's, there's spaces and and areas that, you know, I think are there for the taking uh, depending on what that defensive uh, posture looks like or what the shape of the defense looks like, et cetera. Uh, So, you know, we try to explore those types of things um, quite often. And then, you know, we, we also look at it like, okay, where, where's the common areas of pressure that that individual might face. Um, And if, if it's say you're in an environment where you're, um, you're working in more of a one-on-one type of an environment with a situation, what you need, what I often find myself doing is reminding the player where that pressure tends to be. Right. So, you know, if I'm there and I'm, doing an assessment or an observation of what it is that they're doing, or if I'm behind the iPod uh, trying to, to, to see what's happening, um, you know, I want them to understand like where some of those pressure points could be, and I want you to work on you know, altering your route under those types of circumstances. And that way, they're always thinking about pressure as I'm going through my rep, that they're not just jumping in the rep and they're solely focused on what their intended target is uh, when they go and release the puck.
1: We could could go deep on that, but we'll save that for next time. That's awesome. I'll just say that we should all be thinking about our routes and working on our timing and figuring out, like you said, where pressure is coming from and how we can reroute ourselves to different areas of the ice.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough, fair enough. And having, you know, players having the ability to make plays like slip passes and hook passes, right, is, is become, you know, if you watch, obviously, most of us are watching what's happening in the, in the NHL playoffs right now. um, We see more and more plays that are being made, you know, inside that defender space. Um, And You know, what could happen over time is if a defender constantly gets beat in those areas, they may start shrinking their stick a little bit instead of going stick on puck. In that case, it could be an opportunity for you to hook things uh, either in front or behind, and that could also lead to some additional opportunity for players.
1: That's a great way to end this episode. Thank you. Um, Two minutes here at the end. I'll let you talk about anything that you possibly want in the world, or you can just end it right now. uh, The floor is all yours.
2: Yeah, I, I you know I don't have a huge social media presence, right? And and that's you know part, partly because <laughs> I've got other things that are going on, um, but uh, but yeah, from time to time, like I will um, you know put some content out there on Twitter. So my handle is at KMizwicki. Um On Instagram, it's keith underscore um, I've got a, a website that's in the works, coming soon lagging a little bit, but now my time's being occupied by trying to be on the ice as much as I can and, and maximize the time I can for my players. Uh, so yeah, any questions or any uh, additional things that folks want to hit on, feel free to send me a DM um, or uh, or you could shoot me an email too. My contact information is on those social media platforms. Awesome. And I cannot imagine that you're not going to get
1: quite a few because there, there were some juicy meatballs you threw out there that we uh, <laughs> didn't we skirted around and didn't go down the rabbit hole, but uh, there's a lot of fun items in there that people can really dive into. So thank you so much for your your time and
2: expertise. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate you having me and uh, have a great rest of your week.
0: That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockey'sarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.